Would you please turn with me to your study outlines? And let me, as you're doing that, welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad that you are joining us as we continue with our series, The Story. Next Sunday, we will finish up with the book of Revelation, and we will celebrate the end of this 31-week series. We have given away or sold over 4,000 copies of The Story. And if you're visiting with us, we want you to have one. And so if you just go to that guest center that Pastor Eric was talking about on the south end of the lobby or the north end of the lobby, and get a hold of that gift bag, in that gift bag is a coupon that looks just like this. You take it to the resource center, and we would love to give you a free copy of the story for you to take home uh, here today uh, as we begin to wrap things up. Uh, Today we are studying, actually it's a two-part series, part one this morning, part two tonight at Claremont at the Hub on the life of Paul. And Paul laid down his life for the cause of Christ. He said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he also said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so through the last 2,000 years, Christ's followers have been following in his example. You know, I've talked many times about that great example that drew so many people to Christ in the early days of Christianity. How when the great plagues hit, one in 165 AD, one about 100 years later, we believe that was the first introduction of smallpox to the world. It wiped out between a fourth and a third of the population of the Roman Empire. And the amazing thing about that is everybody fled to the hills. They abandoned the cities when the plague hit, except for the followers of Jesus. They remained in the cities like Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and Pomona and Holden Gary. They remained in the city where others fled from the city. And they continued to minister to the people that had the plague. Some of them caught the plague themselves in so doing. Some of them died from the plague as well. And the same thing is going on today. It's happened for 2,000 years. It's part of our spiritual DNA. This last weekend, Kimberly and I were back for her father's funeral back in New York. And we had a long layover at JFK Airport. And so I was browsing uh, the front page of a New York Times and bought the New York Times. And it had a, a front page article on the fact that Almost every government agency, a secular agency, non-faith-based agency, all of them just about are abandoning West Africa in the wake of the Ebola plague. They're all leaving. The government agencies, the, the, the other ones just all take it off. They're pulling back. The Western, Westerners in that are pulling back, and the Africans feel abandoned because of that. But then I got home. And I opened up our daily bulletin, our local newspaper, and it talked about the one group of people that are staying when everybody else is leaving is the followers of Jesus Christ. And in some cases, it will only be the Christian hospital that remains open. Everybody else is gone. And that Christian hospital remains to serve. And so this is part of our spiritual DNA, to serve even when it is inconvenient, even when it is risky uh, to do so. There's one other verse before we leave the book of Acts and and, and move towards the latter part of Paul's life in in, uh, 2 Timothy. Uh, I I just want to pause on one verse that I want to affirm something that I find very healthy within our church. Uh, Last Sunday, I just got so many comments about Pastor Greg just did a great job uh, preaching and, and sharing. And then a few weeks before that, Pastor Lisa. And then this fall, Pastor Brian uh, will preach a, a couple of times. And, and I really um, want to affirm that it's a wonderful thing to not be a church family of finicky eaters, but instead be able to receive from different people at, at different times. It was funny, uh, I, the day after Abby's wedding, 
I, we took, played hooky from church and Pastor Lisa was preaching. And so we had a bunch of family coming over to the house. And so Kimberly said, we'll sneak out to Stater Brothers and uh, get some food. And she gave me a list of that to do it. Well, I find out what all of you at the 945 service do after church. You go to the grocery store is what you do. I must have run into a dozen people from a church. And every one of them came out saying, oh, Pastor Lisa, it was awesome. It was great. It was great. And let me tell you why this, this is a wonderful thing. I want to put a verse up there, Acts 13, verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets, that is, preachers and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So they had five members of their preaching team, of their uh, teaching team. And my guess would be is that different ones had different spiritual gifts. And different spiritual gifts build up the body of Christ in different ways. So, for example, you have Saul. We know him better as Paul. Uh, He had the gift of what I would call prophetic challenging and evangelism. And then you'd have Barnabas, who was uh, known as the son of encouragement. Maybe the others had the spiritual gift of teaching. And the same thing is so healthy for us when we receive from different teachers from God's word that have different spiritual gifts. Uh, Pastor Brian, I believe, has a prophetic challenging gift, an evangelistic gift. And so usually when people finish hearing Pastor Brian preach, they say, I feel so challenged. Uh, My gift is encouragement or exhortation. And so probably your response after I preach is, I feel encouraged. Uh, Pastor Greg, Pastor Lisa have more of the spiritual gift of teaching. And so when you finish, you say, you know, I learned something about God's word that I didn't know uh, before. And that is a very, very healthy thing. It also applies uh, to those that speak from outside the church as well, guest speakers that we have come in. Now, starting right after the story is done, next Sunday we do the book of Revelation, and then the Sunday after that, September 7th, we start with a new series entitled Mythbusters, Debunking the Myths of Contemporary Culture. Mythbusters, Debunking the Myths of Contemporary Culture. We're going to start with a bang on September 7th. We're going to have Philip Lee come in who's the uh, head of what's called His Way Out Ministries. We've had him speak here before. He has a compelling personal story. He's an expert in the area in which he ministers uh, with regard to the homosexual community and uh, those that struggle with same-sex attraction. And so in the morning at the three services at Pomona, he's going to be speaking on homosexuality and the reality of change. And then at the hub at Claremont at Purpose Church at 5 o'clock that night, September 7th, he's going to talk about the myths of homosexuality. And then we're going to have a question and answer time uh, afterwards over dessert in the community room that's there at, at the Claremont Church. And so that will be the launch. And so this is why we bring in somebody from the outside that has a greater, I've preached on this before, but he has a greater degree of personal experience and expertise in order to build up the body of Christ. Now today we're going to finish up on the life of Paul, Paul's final days. And it's really going to be part one this morning and part two tonight. Part one could really be subtitled, an overview of Paul's life, particularly as you compare him to the emperor Nero who executed Paul. And then tonight, part two, we're going to drill down deeper into 2 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to talk about the whole area of loneliness. And so many people today struggle with loneliness at at different times or regularly within their lives. And so if you struggle in that area or if you know somebody, you might want to bring them back tonight that struggles or wants to learn more about what the Bible teaches about this particular area. And it's also, we're going to talk about this chapter has what I call the theology of aging. Billy Graham once said, I've been prepared ever since I was young to die. 
And I've spent my whole life preparing people to die and, and go to heaven. But nobody ever prepared me for aging. Can anybody agree, uh, understand that? He says, I've been prepared to die since I was a little, you know, young, young adult. He says, but nobody ever prepared me to be 90 years old with Parkinson's disease and struggling in that area. Nobody ever prepared me um, uh, for that. And so I believe that this passage has tremendous theology of aging. And I think the body of Christ has so much to offer to the culture and to the world in the whole area of a healthy theology of growing older, not just for those that are older, but when you're younger as well. In addition to that, Jessica Cabral, this is very exciting. She's going to sing her song, uh, Ocean. Uh, Jessica, one of our worship leaders, her mom, Najula, was just up here leading worship, and Jessica is going to be leading worship at the next service. Well, Jessica's going to be there tonight, and she has just released a single of the most popular song uh, in, in, among Christians in America today called Oceans, and she did a Portuguese version that you can get on iTunes. Then in addition to that, uh, she did one in Spanish, if we go to the next one, and this album where she does her, it's a group of Latin worship leaders that are well-known that sing different songs on that, a compilation of songs in Spanish, and it just got nominated, got a Dove Award nomination, which is the Christian equivalent of a Grammy Award nomination in the Christian music industry for Spanish language album of the year, and our own Jessica Cabral sings Oceans on that song, on that album. And so... uh, and she's going to be uh, doing that tonight, kind of a combination of English and Portuguese tonight. It's going to be a great, great time. And then we're going to top it all off with enchiladas. So how great can that be? Enchiladas, rice, and beans. So you go with Paul, part two, Jessica Cabral, Oceans, uh, her uh, uh, Dove-nominated, award-nominated one, and then enchiladas. Now, let's talk about Paul, particularly as he compares uh, to Nero, the emperor at the time of Paul's death. And it's so interesting how I was preparing this message. You go to my mailbox on Wednesday, and the front page, the front article for National Geographic is on Nero. And they call him Rome's bad boy. But what was interesting about it is they said how much he's been forgotten. Nobody thinks much about Nero anymore. It talked about the fact that we put the picture of the Colosseum up there. Do you know the Colosseum where Christians gave their lives for the cause of Christ? where so many Christians were killed simply for following Jesus Christ. The Colosseum gets 10,000 visitors per day. 10,000 visitors a day to see where followers of Christ gave their lives to the cause of Christ. Nobody visits the tomb or the palace or the great buildings built up by Nero. As a matter of fact, they're in rubble underneath modern-day Rome, and they're only now just beginning to excavate uh, those remains from him. And he's largely forgotten, whereas followers of Christ and their sacrifice have not been forgotten. Max Licato writes, Did you know that the lives of the Apostle Paul and the Emperor Nero overlapped for a short time in the city of Rome? In the seventh decade, these two famous men lived in the same city. While Nero's name was making headlines, Paul's wasn't. Nero would have been on the cover of People magazine. Paul made the Bible. Nero made People magazine, or the equivalent of its time. Oprah would have wanted to interview Nero. Larry King would want Nero on his show. Nero would have been invited to state dinners hosted by the president. Nero was hero. Paul was zero. Paul was a stoop-shouldered, balding, crooked-nosed, cloudy-eyed old man. Uh, Paul was zero. Paul was stoop-shouldered, balding, crooked nose. He kept talking about Jesus as if he were God. 
So Paul got locked up in prison in Rome. If you ask anyone in the seventh decade who will make the greatest impact on the world, Nero or Paul, everyone would pick Nero. Uh, National Geographic goes on to write, according to historical accounts, he ordered his first wife, Octavia, killed, kicked his second wife, Papea, to death when she was pregnant, saw to the murder of his mother, Agrippina the Younger, possibly after sleeping with her, slept with his mother, then killed her, perhaps also murdered his stepbrother, Britannicus, instructed his mentor, Seneca, to commit suicide, which he solemnly did, castrated and then married a teenage boy, presided over the wholesale arson of Rome in AD 64, and then shifted the blame to a host of Christians, including Peter and Paul, who were rounded up and beheaded or crucified and set aflame so as to illuminate an imperial festival. Paul was zero. Nero at the time was the hero. If you had asked anybody at that time who's going to make the greatest impact on the world, Nero or Paul, everyone would pick Nero. Nero was married to Papea Sabina. Uh, You'll put her sculpture up there. Uh, She was a blonde, head-turning beauty who bathed in donkey milk. Uh, There, ladies, is a beauty tip for you to bathe in donkey milk. Uh, 400 donkeys were kept on hand for just that. How do you milk a donkey? I I should have kept that thought to myself, but I just have been (laughs) wondering about it all day, you know, how how that works. Um, She would be dried by swan feathers and then massaged with crocodile mucus. There's another beauty tip. And who's in charge of getting the mucus from the crocodile? That's what I want to know. Nero liked soft skin, and what Nero wanted... Nero got. At age 25, Nero deified himself. He saw himself as God by erecting a 120-foot-tall statue of himself. Uh, People looked up to Nero, but looked down on Paul. See that there? He's got a rudder in his hand, and there's the earth. And so he's basically saying, I'm the one that guides the affairs of humanity. I'm the one. I'm the God that rules this world. They would have looked up to Nero, but looked down on Paul. Paul was common, described as a bald-headed, bow-legged, small man with a big nose and scruffy, thick eyebrows that met in the middle, and a body covered with scars. And yet, even though Nero lived a life of luxury and Paul lived a life of great suffering, he still wrote in Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And all God's family said, amen. Uh, The New Testament records his dynamic life, his deep struggles. He tells of his tumultuous life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. And I was so disappointed because the NIV has updated their English translation And for 30 years, I've used a joke at this particular point, particularly at the younger services. It used to read, once I was stoned. And uh, I saw, ha, ha, that's not what he meant. Uh, I can't do that anymore, these newfangled translations, you know. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. 
I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches." Now, Paul, we know from the Bible, worked as a tent maker in the morning. So he was self-supporting. He was bivocational. He supported his own income in the morning as a tent maker. And then we believe spoke about Jesus and the gospel from 11 to 4 each day, except for the Sabbath. He either spoke in the synagogues or he spoke in like lecture halls that the Greeks would have, like the lecture hall of Tyrannus and others that are mentioned there uh, within Scripture. He wrote books as he traveled and as he sat in prison And we treasure his words to this day. Almost half the New Testament was written by Paul. Paul was both a prophet and a pastor who never got over that the living Jesus met him, changed him, and commissioned him as an apostle. We love him as a pastor. We think of so many great words that come from Paul. Things like, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? Uh, what can separate us or who can separate us from the love of Christ. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, uh, kindness. Uh, And now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We love him as a pastor. I consider this present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us someday. We love his pastoral side. But you know, we also appreciate that he could be a prophet. And he could hammer you, and he could be prophetic at times. That same Paul would write things like, Who has bewitched you, O Galatians, that you follow a different gospel? If I or even an angel from heaven come and preach a different gospel, one to the one, different from the one we previously gave you, let him be accursed. Let him be eternally condemned. Uh, He would also uh, say, Uh, Things like, I wish those false teachers who say that you have to be circumcised in in, in order to be saved, I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Did you know that was in the Bible? He says to the church at Corinth, uh, you've got a guy in your church that's sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud of it. Kick that guy out of church and turn him over to Satan. The same Paul that could be so pastoral could also be prophetic when he dealt with sin as well. He was a spokesman for his favorite subject, which is God's grace. He was a messenger of grace. His favorite word was grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works, lest anyone should boast. Next page of your study outline. Everywhere he went, he caused an uproar. It says in Acts 21, that when he came back from his final missionary journey, and he's back in Jerusalem after the final missionary journey throughout the Roman Empire, it says the whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul. They dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. Now, he reveals the secret of his ability in the face of opposition to endure to the end. He was rejected, often left for dead. How did he face the severe challenges in his life? While in a Roman prison, 
Paul writes to Timothy revealing the secret of his endurance. Put a picture up there of the Mamertine prison. This is the traditional site. Uh, we not 100% sure, but this is the traditional site of where he wrote 2 Timothy from. Uh, his first imprisonment was kind of more like house arrest. But the second time he got in prison was more the typical dungeon that we normally think about, and this is an example of that. And so from that dungeon, he writes these words. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Two of our favorite words here at our church, purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame. He said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. No matter how much it's mocked in our culture. No matter how much it might be despised by some. Uh, do you know, it was amazing that that dear doctor, I mean, can you see anything controversial in what he said? But the social media was on fire with criticism of him simply for talking about his faith in God in a public venue. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he says, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. And all God's family said, amen. He anchored his life to a hope outside of the world. This is the secret. He anchored his life to something outside of the world rather than within the world, and he entrusted his life into the hands of God. A theme that we've had through the story has been that God has an upper story and a lower story. And we live our lives in the lower story. We have ups and downs. We have disappointments. We have times when we question the ways of God. We have times of confusion. We live in the lower story, but we don't anchor our lives here. We anchor our lives in the upper story from God's perspective. Where even though things seem so chaotic in the lower story, God's got a master plan in the upper story. That's why Paul was able to write. And we know that all things in the lower story work together for good to those that love God in the upper story and that are called according to his purpose. And so we live our lives anchored on the upper story even while we must live them in the lower story. Now Paul ended his life very well. Even though he was beheaded by Nero, he still finished very, very well. And the impact of his life remains today. You know, just a, a little bit of an aside. We think bar Nero was as barbaric and evil as you can get. But at least Nero would execute and beheading in a compassionate way, either with a sword or an axe. It would be momentarily. It would be swift. But then you think of a beheading like we heard this last week from James Foley, the young journalist who was beheaded by ISIS and the barbaric way that his head was literally hacked off with a small knife. And you think as evil as Nero was, how much more evil do we see 
with uh, ISIS uh, here today. But Paul, even though his life was ended by Nero, he ended very well. But Nero's life did not end well. At the age of 29, he was lonely, he was paranoid, he's killed off all the people close to him, and now he proceeds to kill himself. And now let me ask you a question. Even though in their lifetimes, Nero was the hero and Paul was the zero, let me ask you about today. Anybody know of any St. Nero cathedrals? Any St. Nero churches? Do any of us even know anybody named Nero? We had a Caesar in our church, a wonderful follower of Jesus, loved Caesar. Uh, We had a Caesar in our church for a while, but I, I don't think I've ever known a Nero. Anybody know any dogs named Nero? There might be more dogs named Nero. We name our dogs after Nero. We name our our children, our sons after Paul or our daughters, uh, Paula. Okay, hardly any Neros, if any. But how many of you know somebody or have somebody in your family? How many of you know anybody named Paul, Paula, or Pauline? Let me see your hands. How many of you are named Paul, Paula, or Pauline? Okay, there we go. Yay. Uh, Think about that. Think about that. No Neros around. Plenty of Paulas, Paulines, Pauls. And that's where I want to talk about you. That's where you, 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 you come in. Okay, look at you. Here on a gorgeous Southern California Sunday morning. There's only two of them left in summer, this one and next week. And even though summer technically goes into mid-September, we all know psychologically it kind of ends after Labor Day. And here you are on one of the last gorgeous Sunday mornings of the year, summer Sundays of the year. Here you are in God's house worshiping him, studying his word, being here to be encouraged and to be held mutually accountable by your fellow believers. Does anybody know of your name? Will you appear in one of People Magazine's 100 Most Beautiful list? Will any of us in this room appear on the People Magazine 100 Most Interesting People in the World? Now, don't get me wrong. I read People Magazine myself sometimes. I get my education going through the grocery line and reading the front covers, all these things. If there's something in one I read, then I buy one for Kimberly and take it home, you know. And uh, I'm not saying that's bad, you, you know. You know it, it is interesting to read about other people's lives. But I ask you a question. How many of those will have an impact for eternity? They're the unnamed ones like you who will leave here and go rock babies in the nursery or do parking patrol or you were here yesterday for the homeless dinner or, or the, the Jordan Castanetas who are going to go with Justice Ministries and work on human trafficking around the world with YWAM for the next six months. It, it, it is you that serve quietly Um, encouraging people, serving people, bringing people meals, visiting people in the hospital, encouraging notes to people. It is you who are quietly raising your children to follow after Christ and changing diapers to serve the kids and grandkids in your life. It, It is you who may not be the Nero of your time that will appear in People magazine, but you are the Paul and the Paulas and the Paulines whose names will echo for eternity because you are written in the Lamb's book of life and he notices everything you 
do, every act of sacrifice, every act of generosity, every act of courage in sharing Jesus with others is noted in the pages of heaven. And you will be honored someday as we honor Paul, who was forgotten in the glorious presence of Nero in his time. He writes, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Did you know that you're mentioned in the Bible? How many of you long for his appearing? Well, that's you. You're mentioned in the Bible. That reward is not only for me, but also to all who long for his appearing.